Welcome back to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, back from a few weeks off in December, and I'm raring to go with my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, who I have missed deeply these last few weeks. Celeste, how are you doing today? Did you already break any of your resolutions? Jeff, I'm so happy to have you back. I missed you. We did our best uh, for a couple of weeks there, but we were very, very happy that we were able to get some time. And and I resolved to try to live without you when necessary, but to avoid it as much as possible. So far, so good. <laughs> so much. I have to tell you, folks, even when I'm on vacation, I still consume so much news every day. I've been following everything that's been happening in Washington, D.C. and here in, in New York State and New York City. I mean, this also, just this first week officially back has just been so, I want to say amazing, but at the same time, depressing at the same time, watching what's going on in Washington, D.C., Celeste. Oh, my, Jeff. Just looking at everything that's going on in Washington, as you say, this situation with the House Speaker, what did they just go through? Their seventh? Was it the seventh? No, no, no. More than that, right? More than that? Went through through the ninth. The ninth. Okay, they had a couple while I was getting ready here. So, unbelievable. (laughs) Just the drama. I mean, look, you can't help but look at this and say to yourself, how does this bode well in any sort of way for stable, effective government in Washington? I don't see it, Jeff. I mean, what's just been so interesting as this 118th Congress begins this week, I mean, the drama just continues every single day over whether Kevin McCarthy will get installed as the House Speaker. I mean, he still is unable to muster enough votes after now nine tries on the House floor before legislators, you know, are likely going to, I would think that they're going to adjourn at some point tonight. This was an issue yesterday, too, that it looked like there was a struggle to even be able to adjourn last night. Right. And the other thing that uh, really interests me or concerns me, and you may feel the same way, is, you know, uh, some of these stories that we're seeing, the the backstage stories of what McCarthy is talking about in terms of concessions and deal making and so on to try to sort of hang on to this Um And we're seeing even at this moment, despite him having these conversations in the background from all this reporting that's being done out of Washington. So it says now we see from Aaron Blake at The Washington Post, uh, his support has dropped from 203 to 202 to 201. Now to 200, it says McCarthy is now 17 votes away from a majority, more, more than at any previous point. So I feel like we are headed away from a resolution here, whether you like Kevin McCarthy or not. I mean, the main point of this, Jeff, and correct me if I'm wrong, the main point is that unless they get this done, they can't swear in the new members, they can't pass any legislation, they can't do anything. We are stuck, Jeff. And and Celeste, as we headed into this week, I mean, this is what I've been obsessed about while I was away, too. I I was trying to be restrained and not texting you constantly on this, but all of the drama, I thought this week was really going to be about everything happening with George Santos. Right. Because those controversies continue to swirl. I mean, what's been amazing. And folks, I don't know if you know Celeste well, but she is addicted to C-SPAN. So C-SPAN has (laughs) been the place to watch. (laughs) It's been the place to watch this, watching how many people are just not, his colleagues are just not acknowledging or engaging with, with George Santos. That is a weird, sad, 
uh, it's just screwy. I mean, and just the backstory here I, I, on the very odd chance. And I know that people that listen to driving forces that listen to WBAI are up on these things, but uh, on the off chance, maybe you were on vacation or something like that. George Santos is this congressman elect from Long Island who has fabricated and embellished apparently very large portions of his entire life history from what he owns to where he works to where he went to school uh, and on top of that you know has some apparently lingering legal issues in Brazil never mind what is going on here in the United States very intense I mean this is a guy who backtracked on his life story and said well I never said I was Jewish I said I was Jewish Jew hyphen ish. Yeah, Jew hyphen ish. <laughs> well, I'm not sort of, I'm sort of not terribly, uh, I don't know. I'm a little baffled ish, I guess you could say, about this, a little confused ish about what's going on here. And uh, I'm not sure if he'll be employed ish for very much longer in, in the U.S. government if, if that goes on, depending on the outcome of these investigations, Jeff. Wow. You know, it's, it's, this is going to be a topic we're going to continue to follow. And of course, for our listeners' enjoyment and pleasure, we will reach out to George Santos's office, uh, when he has one, I guess, and, uh, see if he can come on the show and ask him if he'd like to take listener calls. We're always going to do that moving ahead. So we expect that this session, uh, you know, in Albany, for instance, we're going, moving over to New York now. We're going to have another wild session in Albany. I mean, that brings us to today's topic. There was an editorial. Earlier this week by the president of the New York Coalition for Open Government, it appeared in AM New York, and basically he pointed out that elected officials should resolve to make transparency their New Year's resolution. And we're going to quote from that piece. Old habits are hard to change in people and especially hard to change in government. The biggest issue in government today is the lack of trust the public has in their elected leaders. So how much do we trust those that we elect into office? There are quite a few names that Celeste and I could rattle off now, and we you'll hear them throughout this show, of those who've been elected and then later indicted, resigned in shame, sent to prison for abusing their public positions for private gain. Throughout this hour, with our two guests, we are going to talk about these issues, and then we're going to open up the phone lines so you, our listeners, can weigh in. So let us get to our first guest of the year, Bill Sanderson, a deputy senior content editor and writer on the City Desk at the New York Daily News, where Celeste and I have both worked. I actually have known Bill for years. We're dating ourselves. We go back, uh, Bill will correct me if I'm wrong, but about, I think about 30 years or more, when we were both young reporters at the record of Hackensack, New Jersey. His resume also includes the New York Post, the Concord Monitor in New Hampshire, and most recently, the Daily News. But he's also written for the Wall Street Journal, MarketWatch.com, and Politico in New York, among other places. His first book, Bulletins from Dallas, is the story of Merriman Smith, who broke the news of John F. Kennedy's assassination on the UPI Newswire, five minutes ahead of his competitors at the AP. His latest book is called Do For Me. It's about Sheldon Silver, the former New York State Assembly Speaker. And in Do For Me, Bill Sanderson uses research and interviews and original reporting to unravel New York's biggest political scandal in decades. And it is the story of New York politics over the 21 years that Sheldon Silver led the New York State Legislature. With that, I'd like to bring on our friend and our guest, Bill Sanderson. Welcome to Driving Forces. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Celeste. Was I correct that I've known you for 30 years? 
let me think. Let me think for a minute. Um, uh, Thirty years is putting a low number on it, Jeff. Do you really want to get get exact about that? <laughs> okay, I won't go any higher than that. So let's get to the book. This is not just a book about Sheldon Silver, but about the climate in Albany and what made such unethical and even corrupt behavior possible among state legislators. So first off, what led you to want to pull all of this together? I, I I wanted to do this the, the second I heard that Sheldon Silver was, was arrested back in 2015. I spent, uh, before I came to New York City, I spent several years of my life covering state legislatures. I did it in New Hampshire for a few years, and I did it in New Jersey for a few years. And I've always been pretty interested in legislatures. Um, and um, it, it just I, I, the other thing I start, that, that, I, that interested me in this as I moved along was I wanted to build a narrative. I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell it as a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. Um, and because I, I realized as I, as I, as I, as, as the story moved along, as it unfolded over the following years, you'd read in the paper about, you'd get a headline, you'd get a, you'd get a story, you'd get a quick hit about something that was said in court that day, but you didn't necessarily understand the story with, from the beginning. And that was, that was, I, I, tr- I just wanted to build that narrative in, 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 in this book. Bill, welcome to the program. And uh, for people who are listening and are just finding out about your book or want to know more about your book, the title, Do For Me, walk us through what that means. Why did you choose that title for the book? It, it came up at Sheldon Silver's second trial. Um, a, a legislator from, from Westchester County, Amy Pollan, had a bill, had a bill uh, which was going to combat child sex trafficking. And she had just about the entire Democratic caucus in the Assembly signed onto the bill. But she couldn't get the approval from Sheldon Silver. And without Silver's approval, the bill wasn't going to go anywhere. So she, she accosted him in a hallway of the state capitol one day and, and said, what's, what's going on here? Why won't you support my bill? Well, he was upset because uh, Pollan was, was, was opposing him on, on, on appointments to the state board of regents, which, because of the way that that board is set up, Silver effectively controlled it. Um, and and when, when, he, when, he, when, he, when he discussed this with her, he said, look, you do for me, I do for you. The implication being, you support me on the regents, and then I will support you on your bill on child sex trafficking. Um, and that 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 utterance from Sheldon Silver, uh, "Do for me," uh, became the title for my book. It was it, it, he didn't he didn't say much. You know, he wasn't a guy who was who was full of a lot of words. But I thought I thought there you go. There, there's a good title. It, it tells the story of of what he was about and what goes on in, in Albany. And it's it's fascinating to me, everything that you're writing about here, everything that you're talking about here, not just as a New Yorker, not just as somebody observing government, but somebody who actually worked at the Capitol. I was one of those reporters who chased Shelley Silver around, Joe Bruno around, the governor around in the hallways, trying to ask them all these questions, getting these sort of very partial, very, uh, you know, self-flattering right. kind of answers. Right. But, you know, tell us about of the the pantheon of things that you could have delved into, you know, what did you write about how Shelley Silver operated? Because as you say, he was extremely low key. You know, he had this low voice. It was a problem for us as reporters to even hear what he was saying. This is a very big thing. You know, how did he go about doing this sort of low profile thing and yet having his finger in so many pies? Well, I think, I think the low profile was the key to what he did. Um, he didn't say much. He wasn't a guy who talked a lot. 
And the less he talked, the better off he was for a couple of reasons. One is, is as a legislative leader, you need to you need to keep your options open. You, you know, you need to be able to pivot. You need to be able to keep people on your side. Um, that was I, I think that was something very lawyerly. I mean, that was something I, I learned uh, in, in time I spent covering courthouses and judges. You know, don't don't make a decision until you have to. Um, so that was one of one of the things that, that he did. Uh, by, by that was one of the things being quiet did did for him. It, it enabled him to keep a coalition. It enabled him to keep the conference together on things. Uh, and it also freed him up when it came to negotiations with the governor and the and the majority leader of the state Senate when it came to budget bills. But I think, you know, I, I think he was also a smart negotiator. And if, if the assembly wanted something done, if the Democrats wanted something done, he could carry it off. But I also think that the, that the less he said, I think just the less he said, the better. You know, the other thing that he did was because he controlled negotiations, he was involved in these negotiations with the governor and the majority leader of the Senate. Those three people, the three men in a room, as, as we used to call them, now it's two women and a man, um, those three people really controlled everything that happened in Albany. And Sheldon Silver, when it, came to, when it came time to pass ethics bills in Albany, Sheldon Silver could control the content of those things. And one of the things that I traced in the book is how he... You, no one, no one can know for sure because because only the three men know what really happened, and and they aren't talking. But he controlled what was going in the bills. Uh, there was one bill, one of the ethics bills that that, that ultimately passed, uh, contained some provisions that Sheldon Silver was able to manipulate, I believe, to make sure that it didn't cover a lot of the, a lot of the property that he owned with his wife. Um, he, he managed to, to get the text of the bill to be written in a way so that he would not have to disclose the property that, 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 that belonged to his wife. And then what he did was he transferred some of, some of the property that, that belonged to him, some of his uh, alleged ill-gotten gains. He moved them into his wife's name and thus could prevent them from becoming public, from being disclosed. But, but that's, that's the other part of that is that for many years, this stuff simply wasn't public. You know, they had to file forms saying what what they what what they, explaining what their assets were and where their income came from, but for a long time that those forms just sort of disappeared. You couldn't you couldn't get them. Um, I think I think as a, if, if I was a reporter up in Albany, and I think this is this is the problem you ran into is it was opaque. They didn't have to tell you these things, and it was so opaque that at the end of the day. It took subpoenas. It took federal investigators, FBI agents, the U.S. Attorney's Office, people with subpoenas to pry open what was going on. Um, wow. And I think that's that, I don't think there's much that, that a reporter really could have done other than hector them and keep questioning them and, and keep keep keep, uh, you know, uh, following them in the hallways of the Capitol and asking, them, well, what's up with this? What's up with that? That was really that, that's really all any any member, member of the public could do. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Bill Sanderson of the New York Daily News and author of the book, Do For Me, about the rise and fall of New York State Assembly, Speaker Sheldon Silver. And by the way, if you're enjoying this conversation and you want to read this book, we've got a special offer for you that Celeste and I will talk about after this segment. So don't change that dial. I want to just quote something from your book, Bill, where you note that uh, during Shelley Silver's speakership, a dozen of his fellow assembly members were convicted of corruption crimes. 
Two were sentenced to probation, 10 went to prison and got an average of five terms and one was sentenced to 14 years. So many recognizable names of elected representatives who left office and scandal are in this book. What do you believe, you know, was a motivating factor or were the motivating factors that led them all down this path? Was it just that they were consumed by power and greed? Yeah, uh, greed and ambition. Um, I, I, I don't know how to, how to explain uh, raw ambition for example, if you talk about someone like Malcolm Smith, who actually had, who actually thought that he could persuade Republicans in New York City to put them on, uh, put him on their line to run for mayor one year, I don't understand how how anyone could dream such a thing. Um, it, it, but it, it was money, uh, and I think if you look at, at, at the guy who was sentenced to prison for the longest uh, term, Anthony Seminario, he, he admitted as much. You know, uh, he, he he wanted it, it was it was. The, the, the need, the want for cash, the want for to, to pull something in, to have a to have a business that, that made him a, a lot of money on the side. Um, look, look at the, look at a guy like Carl Kruger. The same thing, uh, driving around uh, Brooklyn in a Bentley. Um, what, what you know? What what else is there uh, other than other than greed that, that could explain a state senator wanting to do such a thing? Oh, my God. You know, it's, it's hearing these names. Malcolm Smith, I was talking to him and to uh, the chairs of the Republican county committees when they were working out this deal. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I just I just looked this up to confirm it I actually wrote for the Daily News. I wrote uh, Tony Seminario's obituary. I believe he died in prison. Uh, right. It's just it's unbelievable. And and. Bill Sanderson, I want to ask you something more specifically going back to uh, Shelley Silver. And I think there was an excerpt or an adaptation of this in the Daily News, but uh, very sort of, I think, illustrative of the lengths to which Shelley Silver's power went and the self-enrichment went is you've talked about his deal with his law firm and their dealings with uh, victims of mesothelioma, you know, sickness caused by asbestos exposure. And essentially how he was he was kind of torquing this people being sick and dying to attempt to line his pockets in the pockets of his law firm. How did he do this? It, it, was, it, was, it was simple. There's a, there's a doctor, Dr. Robert Taub, who's a researcher at Columbia University Medical School, who was one of the na- one of the nation's still one of the nation's experts on mesothelioma, on particular kinds of mesothelioma. And he went to, he went to Taub and uh, said and, and asked him to refer patients. Give me the names of some of your patients, and I'll, I can refer them to Whites and Luxembourg, and Whites and Luxembourg will take their cases and. and uh, you know, uh, represent them as they try to seek compensation for this disease. Um, there are a lot of, there are a number of trusts. Uh, there are lawsuits. There are ways that people who suffer mesothelioma can get money, can get compensation for their diseases. Uh, and a typical mesothelioma case in Silver in Silver's time, when Silver was carrying out the scheme, was worth about a million dollars. So if 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 Whites and Luxembourg uh, succeeded in 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 in, in winning money for, for winning a million dollars in a mesothelioma case, uh, Whites and Luxembourg would collect a fee of one third of that, three hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars in some so in some change, and then they would take one third of that fee, one hundred eleven thousand dollars or whatever, and hand it over to Sheldon Silver's as kind of a finder fee. So it, it, someone who got a million dollars in compensation for this disease, could, Sheldon Silver could get one hundred eleven thousand uh, dollars as a fee, and all Sheldon Silver did for that money was to take the name of the person from Taub's, that 
Taub would give him the names. He would take the names from Taub, and he would hand them over to a, to a people at Weitz and Luxembourg, who would then pursue the cases. Um, so he was never representing the, these people, helping them in court, nothing. researching the cases, appearing at a trial. Nothing. He's just literally a messenger. Exactly. He did nothing for them other than hand the names over to, to the law firm. And the law firm, you, you know, we, we see these ads, we see, we see all the TV ads uh, on at night. Um, it's pretty, in, the economics of, of how this works is pretty interesting. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, mesothelioma is a horrible disease. Uh, it kills you within a year or two. Most people die within a year or two of, of them being diagnosed. Uh, I found a couple of people in my research who I talked to. One woman, she survived for, for for 10 years, and there's another person who's had it for a long time, but he was very young when he was diagnosed with it. He he thinks he got it from from his father, who was a who was an aircraft mechanic who uh, brought the who, who uh, you know brought 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 asbestos into the house on his clothing. Um, but the economics of it are very interesting, um, and and I wouldn't deny that Weitz and Luxembourg is is very good at, at representing people in these cases. But the you know you have to wonder about well a one third fee out of a million dollars that's that's you know that's a huge amount of money. I mean this law firm's gotten very wealthy off of this, um, wow. and it made Sheldon Silver well off too. So, Bill, I know we're going to have to wrap up in about another minute or so because we're going to be joined shortly by uh, Betsy Gottbaum, the former New York City public advocate who's the head of Citizens Union. But as you look ahead, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you know, do you think we're going to get through another year without another legislator in Albany um, getting indicted or or accused of similar activities? I mean, or do you believe that? There's been enough legislation that has been passed that strengthens protections to to make the, uh, our electeds more accountable and make government more transparent, so that these type of actions that Shelley Silver uh, had uh, taken cannot happen anymore. Or you do you not have that confidence? I don't know, but I would like to say point out that I'm really interested in this pay raise bill that the legislature recently passed, in which Governor Hochul signed. Um, the bill, besides giving them a big raise, raising their salaries to $142,000 a year, it also caps the money they can make from the kind of things Silver did at $25,000 a year. Um, there, there are some loopholes and some exceptions, but Silver, under the, under the, as I'm reading this law, Silver would not have been able to make more than $25,000 a year off of the things that he did for Whites and Luxembourg. And for his for for another law firm, uh, a law firm of a, uh, that represents people in property tax cases, Silver made hundreds of thousands of dollars in some years outside of his legislative income. I mean, the salary that Weitz and Luxembourg paid him simply for showing up was one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, a little less than what he earned as Assembly Speaker. Right there, he's 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 violating the 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 the, the, the law that that the legislature just passed, giving themselves a pay raise, um, but. You know, there were there were there were some years where he would make uh, five hundred thousand uh, dollars, three hundred. I'm just going through some numbers. I have a three hundred forty thousand dollars one year, three hundred forty four another year, uh, five hundred forty four thousand dollars. These were fees that he earned off mesothelioma cases. Those would be totally against uh, what's in the new legislation. I, I find that interesting. We'll, we'll see how that turns out, and we'll be keeping a close eye on it. But Bill Sanderson, if people want to find out more about your work and your new book, Do For Me, about former Assembly Speaker Sheldon Silver, where can they look? 
Uh, the book the book is for sale on Amazon. It's 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 available as an ebook or as a paperback, and it's on some other uh, sites too, on Barnes Noble and uh, Apple Books, and and uh, almost almost any place you 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 can buy ebooks or uh, or books online. Okay, we'll have everyone be looking out for that, and we'll have more on how to get a copy of that book a different way in just a moment. But Bill Sanderson of the New York Daily News and author of the new book, Do For Me, thank you so much for being here with Jeff and with me here on Driving Forces. Thank you. That was great. And I'm glad he mentioned that about the pay raises because we're going to ask our next guest, Betsy Gottbaum, about that in just a moment. But as I mentioned earlier, Bill Sanderson and his publisher have given WBAI a gift. They've given us five copies of this book due for me to share with you, our listeners. If you donate, we are in a new year. We just wrapped up our end of year campaign, but we weren't as successful as we hoped to be. So that's where we still need your help because the bills, they just keep piling up. Remember, we have to raise $17,000 every month, each month just to be able to rent space on top of four times square so we can transmit our signal to reach you. So why not donate $50 in the name of this show today to get a copy and make sure you say you want that to get a copy of do for me. It's on our website. You can check it out and all the other gifts on the WBAI website at WBAI.com or You can call. Call our dedicated line at 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. And you can talk with someone. I'm sorry, WBAI.org. I keep saying .com. Sorry about that. WBAI.org. Or call 212-209-2950. You'll be able to talk to someone. Get, you can get a copy of Do For Me by Bill Sanderson for a $50 donation. We will be, Celeste and I will be lining up more gifts for you this year. So make sure to tune in each week at this time and we will announce them. But this book, Do For Me, I have to admit, it's a troubling read. There are so many names you're going to see and you're just going to shake your head and realize, oh my, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's just gone on for years, but it is well worth reading, Celeste. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And today we are talking about corruption in New York. You could do much more than an hour on that. And I'm sure that over the course of this year, we will. But when it comes to fighting corruption in Albany, there are a number of nonprofit organizations and good government groups that have made this their mission for decades. And one of the most notable ones is Citizens Union. It was actually founded back in 1897 by a group of outraged residents who banded together to start a new independent political party, the Citizens Union. So four years later, in a stunning defeat of the entrenched and corrupt Tammany Hall machine, New Yorkers elected Citizens Union candidate Seth Lowe as mayor. And the organization to this day is committed to reforming city and state government by fostering transparency, accountability, accessibility, honesty, and the highest ethical standards. The leader of the organization as executive director is Betsy Gottbaum. And for the past four decades, she has had a wide ranging career in New York City's public Public and private sectors. She's been an advisor to three mayors, executive director of the New York City Police Foundation, commissioner of the City Parks and Recreation Department, and president of the New York Historical Society. Prior to her current job, of course, she served two terms as New York City's public advocate, becoming only the third woman to hold citywide office at the time. So without further ado, Betsy Gottbaum, welcome to Driving Forces. 
Well, thank you so much. And I'm now going to say, um, I'd like to give you a hundred dollars just for one book. I'd like, <laughs> I'd like that one book because I, I'm dying to read it. And, uh, so how do I do that? <laughs> well, what you do is you could go to, you could go to WBAI.org or you can call the number okay. or Jeff can help you out because I can hear him smiling on the radio yeah, at Jeff, this. No, no, I'll help you. I'll help you out. In honor of Jeff and the 50, the extra $50, he can give it to, somebody that deserves it but i would like one copy and you get a absolutely my word a hundred dollars <laughs> and in honor of jeff simmons <laughs> well thank you very much so well, on that positive note wanted to jump in and ask you about some of the ideas in that book i know uh, you know many people out there will be looking forward to reading it including you uh but you know Overall, we're talking about this sort of era of Shelley Silver and the corruption that took place uh, when he was in power and afterwards. He's not the only one. Certainly, we've rattled yeah. off a bunch of names. Hiram Montserrat, uh, uh, Pedro Espada, Tony Seminario, uh, Malcolm Smith, all these people. Just wondering, are things as bad as they seem? Are they better or worse than they used to be uh, in terms of how much corruption we're seeing uh, at, in state government? Well, you know, I, I have to say that I was completely shocked by what happened with Shelley Silver because I, one, um, knew him quite well. I did some work with him. I always admired him because he seemed to be a pretty straightforward fellow. And this was just shocking. I mean, and and I wonder if the current um, things that are in place to sort of stop this kind of thing are effective enough. And I do think it's better. I mean, Jacob was, the, you know, Jacob was the, to just explain to your listeners, Jacob was the organization in the state that was supposed to uh, go after corrupt politicians. And the problem was that Jacob was really selected the people that ran jacob were selected by people who were elected themselves so they weren't going to go after the people that gave them their jobs essentially now that's a different there is a different kind of system for the new jacob and do i do i know that it's going to be better no but i certainly hope so and i do think that even though the the legislature people elected officials are going to be um suggesting names there are the deans of the law schools who are going to pass on those names. And, and I believe that knowing the deans, some of them, not all of them, but I know some of the deans, I, I think that they will be pretty clear and pretty straightforward about what they're doing. They already have been. Um, they rejected a couple of the, of the um, uh, commissioners for, for, for Jacob. I think they're called that. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm hopeful, but I, don't, I can't tell you for sure. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Betsy Gottbaum of Citizens Union. Betsy, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm glad you mentioned Jacob, because I believe that when this new ethics commission uh, was being, I guess, assembled or announced. You had expressed concerns uh, about this being flawed, and I'm yeah. curious if you're seeing any signs that this is bringing, you know, is this bringing you greater confidence now, or are you still worried about this new commission? Well, I, I, I do think the fact that it, it, what is upsetting, to, what was upsetting to us as an organization and to many of the other good government groups that we work with, elected officials are 
are appointing people who will be on this on the um, on the new Jacob. I don't. I'm not quite sure it's got a name yet. Um, but anyway, the, but the deans of the law schools really do have to be involved and will decide whether those people that are suggested are okay. And I think there were two for sure that were rejected. Um, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent who they were. I can't give you that information. But my understanding is that that happened. So that's a good step forward, I would say. Uh, and Betsy Gottbaum, you know, just looking at sort of the long history of uh, corruption mm-hmm. and, and, you know, maybe not even these explosive cases, but just, you know, sort of grinding on. We always see lots of, uh, you know, ethics violations. Maybe there's a small fine. Maybe somebody has to have an embarrassing press conference. But it doesn't yeah. seem like the tide really turns. And Albany, uh, regardless, continues to have this horrendous reputation and perhaps deservedly so as just this sort of den of iniquity when it comes to uh, clean government. And I'm just wondering, what do you think it's really going to take to to sort of wipe this out and and sanitize what what is going on? Does this have to be something radical at this point? Well, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, radical. I I don't know what radical would mean, you know, and, and I think you have to you have to get the legislature to buy into whatever is going to happen to a certain extent because they should feel embarrassed by what has happened in the past. And and I do think the fact that Governor Hochul signed this and, and has been working on it, we were disappointed, as I said, in the fact that the, that the elected officials are going to be putting forth the names of people who will be on this commission. But remember, again, the deans of the law schools will look at these names and decide whether or not they should go on or not. I'm hopeful about that. I think it's a good start. Is it radical? Not really. And were we disappointed? Yes. But uh, it's a good start. And, and we just have to see what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm not denigrating any of that work, and I understand this is difficult. And as a reporter who has written many, many, many stories about this, I understand that change is slow to come. But I'm, I'm sort of thinking, um, you know, maybe radical in the sense of Albany traditionally has a, an exceptionally high reelection rate. Maybe, you know, it, it, is there a difficulty yeah. associated with trying to make change when you have the same people in office for, you know, Six years, twelve years, You're talking twenty about term years. Limits, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You see, so but let- what is the process for getting term limits? Would that ever happen? And I think right. that's probably less likely to happen as quickly as what at least we have now, which is better. It's, I'm not saying it's good or terrific, but I think it is better. And I, I do, I am hopeful because of that. So, Betsy, you mentioned Governor Hochul before, and in a few weeks. The governor will deliver her state of the state. And I'm curious, when it comes to these issues that we're talking about, what do you want to hear? What counsel would you give to the governor on these issues if you were advising her? Well, I would say, you know, it's very, very important that she that she has and she has said that she's very much in favor of fixing things. Um, she backed down a little bit on this issue that I talked about earlier, that the, the elected officials are naming are putting forth the names for this new Jacob commission. Um, but I, I, we are urging her and the rest of my colleagues and the good government groups are urging her to really push for reforms to make government more, uh, more open. Now, 
the, the three people in a room that used to make the decision on the budget. Um, I hope that that isn't going to be happening. I think that she she has said that she wants it to be more open, and we will be urging her to do that. Um, and and I think she's sincere about that. Um, you know, I I really do. And um, I do think that it's going to be a put. We've got to get together. By the way, we have a job to do. The good government groups and others, but mostly the good government groups, we have to push and we have to keep saying we want X, Y, and Z to make government more transparent to stop these corru- this corruption from occurring. Um, and, and I think one of the things I could say, which is really important, is the whole Me Too movement has improved the atmosphere in Albany, which in terms of what was happening to many women, many young women who were working in the legislature, I think that's if things are better there now. I've heard that than it was, you know, before, and I think that's an improvement. And I'm sh- I know Governor, Governor uh, Hochul is very, uh, very imp- in, involved in making sure that that women are are not as badly treated as they were, or as what was going on before. Is all I can say, without getting into too much detail. We're talking to Betsy Gottbaum, the former New York City public advocate and executive director currently of the Good Government Group Citizens Union. And I wanted to ask you about pay raises in Albany. Um, And you'd mentioned the budget a moment ago. Um, Do you feel like there should be more restrictions than there are now on outside income so we don't get into these kind of situations that um, our first guest, Bill Sanderson, was talking about with Shelley Silver, who is making a ton of money from his his quote-unquote day job well i think there is a certain limit and i and 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 i don't think do i think it's hard enough i think we we wanted much more we wanted a much stronger higher limit uh, on what people could could earn um and i look it's a start it's all i can say i don't know that that a hundred and what is it a hundred and forty two thousand dollars a year is enough for for people to live on who are in elected office and have to travel back and forth to Albany. Um, people say it is. I, I'm not so sure. Um, but do I think that there should be higher limits? Of course I do. But it isn't going to happen yet. So that's the thing that we have to be clear on. We're starting. And let's see what we can do. Let's see how it works. Um, and and um, I'm just very – one thing that I'm enthusiastic about is that there is campaign finance. That is going. That is that is going to happen in the state. Before you could give sixty thousand dollars to people who were running for office. There is now a limit. I think it's nineteen thousand for the citywide, and I think it's eight thousand for state senators, and uh, I think probably the same for the assembly. To me, that is a positive step forward. That their their campaign finance is occurring. It's a little bit mirroring what we have in New York, which is a good campaign finance. Um, and at least it's a start. And I'm enthusiastic about that. And I know we only have about a minute or two left. I do want to uh, bring up a topic that we, Celeste and I talked about at the uh, beginning of this show. Uh, it's George Santos and his web of lies. Oh. And I'm really curious what your thoughts, because, you know, we talk about trust in our government and uh, uh, our elected officials. And then you have someone like George uh, Santos mm-hmm. who gets elected and every day there's new revelations about uh, yeah. mistruths. What do you think should happen to him? And what's been going through well, your mind over the last... Be, I don't think... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jeff, but it makes me mm-hmm. so angry. And I don't understand. He ran before. Why all of this didn't come out 
this time when he was running, uh, I, I, he ran, my friend Bob Zimmerman ran against him, who was a really terrific man, uh, but a good candidate. I don't know why he should be allowed to, to, uh, be, um, seated in, 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 in the states and the, um, legislature. I just don't understand it. Nobody does. Everybody says to me, what can you do? I don't know what we can do. But I think his constituents, the constituents in that very good uh, part of New York, which is Nassau and part of Queens, they ought to be up in arms, and I'm sure they are. Uh, and they ought to figure out something to do just to get rid of him. He should not be allowed to take office. We could go on talking about this for quite a while, and I I wish we could, because there is a lot to say on this issue. But for the moment, just for the moment, Betsy Gottbaum, if people want to find out more about Citizens Union and the work that you do on cleaning up government in New York, where can they go? Well, what they can do is they can go to our website um, and and they can look at Citizens Union. I got to get it right now. um, CitizensUnion.com. And I always get it wrong. Um, they, they can go to our website, which I will get you in a second. Um, and they can, they, you know, they can always call me and ask me questions. It's, it's, it's I'll give you my, uh, my information, which is bgotbaum at citizensunion.org. And, you know, they can, the, 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 the people can look that up there and find out what we do, or they can, they, they can contact me and I will get back to them. Um, because I feel very strongly that people that show interest in this kind of issue, the reform of government and transparency, should be responded to as quickly as possible. So I, I, that, that, that's what I would say to you is have people go to begotbaum at citizensunion.org, and I will respond to that. Betsy Gottbaum, it was a pleasure to have you back on our first on our first show of this calendar year. Thank you so yeah. much for joining me and Celeste here on the show, and I'll make sure I get in touch with you about getting a copy of that Absolutely, book due for me. Absolutely, Jeff. You've got, to, you've got to do that because I want my book, but I want to give you the donation and the extra money for you to spend as you will to help somebody who probably couldn't afford the book. Betsy Gottbaum, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thank you. And, And the website is citizensunion.org. Folks, want to let you know the phone lines are now open. Here is the number to call for, uh, to weigh in on this issue. 212-209-2877. That number is 212-209-2877. We're going to take a quick break and then get to your calls. So, uh, uh, Reggie, if you could just play us some very appropriate music right now by Iggy Pop. Yeah. 
Jeff has a talent for choosing just the right song. Iggy Pop with Corruption here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Today we are talking about, as you probably guessed, but just in case you are only joining us now, corruption, corruption in government, New York State particularly, but also could be New York City. It could be the federal government. We want to hear from you. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. What did you think about that story we heard earlier in the program from Bill Sanderson laying out how Shelley Silver worked the system, worked his connection, used his position to get uh, basically side payments that were funneled from people who were trying to get justice while they were dying of mesothelioma. What do you think about that? Do there need to be more limits and how much people can make on the side when they're in government? 212-209-2877-212-209-2877. We're going to go to our first caller right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hello? That's you. Yeah, yeah my, my name is Hammer. Uh, I'm calling from um, Brooklyn. What's on your um, mind today? I'm, okay, now, it, it's so interesting because the thing being is I had experience in court that I had to find out how to maneuver, okay, because of elected officials um, in court. Now, what helped me, thank God, was the Constitution. The Constitution is very, very, very useful when you have corrupt officials. But I don't hear, um, you know, these elected, elected officials are not leaders. They are public servants. That's why you have the Constitution. It's called separation of powers. We have separation of powers. Legislation, um, the um, executive branch, and judicial cannot, you know, um, go together and make it was specially made for that. So the thing being, it's a it's a a, a writ called a writ of quarantum that does very good in the courts against public officials. So the thing, what I'm saying is, I don't understand. We depend on the legislation, but the Constitution was. If you read all the um um the um the founders of uh, of the Constitution, they'll tell you and warn you. Against okay, legislation making um, um, uh, suggestions and and things. This mm-hmm. is why we have the constitution. This is why you can go to court and fight this. But we perish, like the Bible says, because of lack of knowledge. We well, don't that's know. a very that's a and that's a very good point. And I mean, I want to thank you for your call. And certainly, the constitution, the law, is a great defense against some of this corruption. But I think the problem arises, and maybe we can talk about this with our next caller, Jeff. Is what happens when people twist the law to their own benefit, and the people who are sort of, you know, double dipping and benefiting from this are the people who make the laws, right, Jeff? You're right. So let me get to that next call because I know we've only got about five minutes left. Bring on the next call, Reggie. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What is your name and where are you from? Hi, my name is Lisa. I'm from New York City. Hi, Lisa. What's on your mind today? What's on my mind is um, the disengagement of politicians after they get elected. And when they disengage and you don't even know where they are in like two days or 
you know, your local politicians, um, the constituents that voted for them, that drove them around for free and knocked on doors risking their lives, you can't find them after they get elected. They have their little private parties giving each other awards and not engaging. And what we can do is hold them accountable. We can start by New York City Council. When they have those hearings, it should be updated and um, posted on Channel 25, not from last month, from what's going on right now. So that channel should be accounted for in, in 311. I can go on and on, but they have to engage with their constituents the same way they do when they want the constituents' money in the vote. I- well, Lisa, that's a that's a great point. Thank you for your call. And and that I think that's a very, very legitimate thing to say. You know, people get elected, people volunteer, people donate money, people get out there and vote. And then where's the accountability? I think people do have the right to ask that. And if officials feel that people are engaged and feel that somebody is watching and that people do have expectations and are not just handing them a public office, then, you know, maybe their behavior will change. Certainly not making a blanket statement about uh Every elected official, there are lots of good public servants out there. But today on this program, we are concerned with the ones who are not. So we're going to go to our next call. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Good evening. My name is Cliff. I'm calling from Upper Manhattan. What's up, Cliff? Santos, is there somewhere they can recall this particular monster? I mean, he's going to be taking advantage of the hospitalization plan, his retirement plan, get all these benefits. And he's nothing but a fraud. There should be somewhere to recall this character. And also, with the Republicans being in disarray, maybe it's a good thing, because that just shows you what kind of plans or lack of plans they have for what they're going to do once they get things rolling, in a sense. Yeah, thank you so much, Cliff, for your call. It's a good question from uh, what little I know about it. Uh, there is no actual mechanism to do a recall uh, for a member of the House. He can certainly uh, agree to resign or to not take the position. I think there would have to be a special election in that case, Jeff. Yeah, and there are several investigations going on, so we'd have to wait to see what happens with them and if uh, the results of those investigations lead to him having to step out of that role. In, in Congress. I know we're going to have to wrap up, uh, uh, Celeste, I believe. Yeah, uh, I just want to thank everybody who called in, Cliff, Lisa, everybody. Uh, we want to thank all the listeners today, and we will certainly bring you some updates right here on Driving Forces uh, when, if, I'd prefer to say if, but when, maybe more accurate, uh, the next public official gets in trouble because it may only be a matter of time. I want to thank today's guests, Bill Sanderson, author of Do For Me. You can get a copy of that book with your generous donation to WBAI. Go to WBAI.org to check that out. And also Betsy Gottbaum, Executive Director of Citizens Union. I want to thank also, of course, our amazing engineer, Reggie Johnson, for making this show happen. Jeff, what is coming up on your next City Watch? I will be back here on Sunday morning at 10 in the morning. We'll be talking about you know, issues that are similar to this about the criminal justice system, because my guests are going to be Queens District Attorney Melinda Katz, no relation to my co-host, and also Michael Rempel, the Director of Data Collaborative for Justice at John Jay College for Criminal Justice. And by the way, he's out with a new report, Celeste. This is why I wanted to have him on the show. He's out with a new report that 
explores major and sometimes contradictory changes in New York City's use of jail in the bail reform era. Very important topic. I know our listeners have wanted to talk about this before. That's 10 a.m. this Sunday. Both Celeste and I, I believe we're going to be back in two weeks. We're off next week. We'll be back in two weeks with you at this time. But uh, one other programming note tomorrow. Tune in at this time to hear Ben Max because he's going to be speaking with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousin that's going to be an important discussion to talk about some of the issues that the state legislature is going to be taking up this session. And by the way, if you missed any part of this show, Celeste and I upload every edition of the program to SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, so you can subscribe and never miss a show. And don't forget to check out check us out on Twitter and Facebook as well, and of course on the WBAI website at WBAI.org. Making sure I get that right this time. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to this edition of Driving Forces. And this will be my final time saying this because I'm putting a I'm putting a deadline on our ability to say Happy New Year. So to our listeners, Happy New Year. Have a great day.